This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part four of our Advent 2017 series. If you're a, a note taker and, and the sermon page is helpful to you, then if you've got a pen or, or a pencil, a uh, slight edit where it says number one, to see God, you can keep that the same, but where it says number two, to be like God, you can cross that out and put to be seen by God. So one, to see God, two, to be seen by God. If you're visiting us, uh, we are in the middle of a four-week series on the incarnation. Uh, we're looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of John and meditating on the mystery of the incarnation. Incarnation is a fancy word that simply means God came to earth. And not only did God come to earth, but God became a human being. And indeed, the Christian proclamation is that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. In Jesus, we see God. When I was six, I remember going to my mom and saying, Mom, I've been thinking about it, and I believe that I know everything there is to know. Now, this was not an arrogant statement. It was honestly and logically deduced. Here's what happened. One day, the, the thought popped into my head, I wonder how much there is to know. I wonder if I know everything. And as a six-year-old, I said, well, let me see if I can think of anything that I don't know. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything. I therefore concluded, I, I guess I know everything there is to know. And I went and I told my mother. I wonder if sometimes this is how it is with us and knowing God. Not so much arrogance, oh, I know everything there is to know about God, but ignorance. We have no idea that there is so much more to the knowledge of God. We're too easily content with what we do know, and we wonder, is there really that much more? We don't realize that we were created for intimate relationship with the one who created us. And whether everyone recognizes it or not, the deepest human need and the deepest human desire is to know God. That's the kind of knowing that Paul talks about when he's writing to the Ephesians and he says, I am praying for you that the God of glory would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and that the eyes of your hearts would be opened. Did you catch that metaphor? The eyes of your heart, knowing and seeing are linked. So today as we talk about seeing God, what we're really talking about is knowing God. The idea of seeing being connected to knowledge is reflected in a phrase that we use all the time. When we understand something, we say, ah, I see. We don't say, ah, I smell. Perhaps because we're also worried that the person will say, yes, you do. We also don't say, I touch or I taste. We say, oh, I see, I get it. And the astounding news for you this morning is that in Jesus Christ, you are invited to see God. And not just to know facts about God, but to actually know the face of God. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a Christian mystic from about nine centuries ago, he said this, know God and you will also love God. Know God and, and you will love Him. Knowing God is everything. 
In fact, later on in John's gospel, he equates knowing God with eternal life. He says, do you want to know what eternal life is? It is to know God, to have a relationship with Him. That is the substance of eternal life that is not only eternally long, but eternally deep, because it's about knowing God. Because this is so, that the knowledge of God is everything, the enemy of God and the enemy of the human race, Satan, has put a great deal of effort into making knowing God seem about as interesting as a vacation to Peoria, when in actuality, to know God would be more fascinating than a trip to the center of the galaxy. But the devil deceives us into believing that what we really want is something else, that there are dozens, if not hundreds of things that would, we would find more worthwhile than growing in the knowledge of God. And I confess, I buy the lie too sometimes. I get caught up in my own life. I grow weary in my pursuit of God because I fail to see that all of my deepest desires are bound up and ultimately found in that singular quest. Instead, all, in all my hopes and in all my frustrations, my focus is on me most of the time. But I'm sure I'm the only one. Maybe not. I want to see God, but I confess that I often lose sight of Him. How about for you? Are you also distracted? Have you lost sight of God? Or maybe like six-year-old Brett, you might not realize that there is so much more, and you've settled in and grown complacent in your search to know God and to be known by Him. So what do you do when you lose sight of God? How do we grow in our desire for revelation and epiphany and knowledge and vision? What do we do? We ask for that gift. Like Paul asked that gift for the Ephesians. We ask for that gift, the gift of seeing, the gift of faith. For we know that it is God's desire that we would see Him, that He would be known by us. I've actually heard of people who were in a stage where they weren't quite sure that they even believed God was real or not, and somebody else taught them a very simple prayer. They said, well, just pray to God, say, well, if you're there, show yourself to me. And they pray that prayer, and God does. He shows himself. This is exactly what Moses himself asked for. Did you catch that in our Old Testament story today? Moses is talking with God, and he says, if you... If I have found favor with you, then let me see your glory. Show me your glory. And God's response is, I will. I will let you see my glory, but you cannot see my face, for no living human being may see my face and live. And it might be confusing because at a few other moments, it says Moses spoke with God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend, but that's to say he had a special relationship with God. The reason that that is so emphasized here in Exodus 33 that we read earlier is so that we, there would be no confusion that actually Moses did not see the face of God, capital F, the face of God. No one may see the face of God and live until. No wonder Mary was called the favored one. She was the first one in all of human history to see the face of God. Mary and Joseph 
On the day that Jesus was born, they saw the face of God, which is why, if you've ever wondered, why do we celebrate the incarnation when Jesus was born? Since technically, the incarnation did begin when he was conceived. When Jesus came into the womb of the Virgin Mary, that's when the incarnation began. Why do we celebrate it when he was born? Because that's when the world first beheld his face. That's when we first saw the face of God. Let's go to our gospel story today so you can turn in your bulletins to John or in your Bibles there. Now, this story... Unlike the earlier verses in John chapter 1, this story is not primarily about the incarnation necessarily, and yet it's fun to study this passage with that particular lens because as we do so, we see some things that we, we might have missed otherwise. So take a look now at verse 38. Jesus says to the disciples, they're, they're following after him. They say, where are you staying? He says, Come and you will see. Sorry, that's verse 39. He says to them, come and you will see. Now, who are these disciples? These disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist. And we learned from the story last week that John the Baptist understood his whole ministry as preparing the way for one who would come who would be greater than him. John knew this. And you better believe his disciples knew it. So after about the second or third time of John pointing to Jesus and saying, that's the guy, there he is, there he goes, that's the great one, the one I've been preparing the way for, at least two of John's disciples figured it out. And they left John and they started to follow Jesus. And they came to Jesus and they asked him, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. Now when they ask, where are you staying you know that they're not just looking for recommendations on the best B&B in Judea. Any more than a young man who asks a young woman, so what are you doing later this evening, is not merely curious about her schedule appointments. They want something more. A level deeper is the real question they're asking. Can we get to know you? And his response, yes, you can get to know me. Come and see. And as we look at this text from a deeper level still, in lens, with the lens of the incarnation, what we see in these disciples, we see humanity searching after, longing after God. And God in human, who came in human flesh precisely so that God as a human being, from one human to another, could say, come and see. Come and see me. Get to know me. And actually, before you ever came looking for me, I was already looking for you. Come and see the glory of God. It's Jesus' invitation to every one of us this morning. Later on in John's gospel, in fact, it's the night before Jesus was crucified, he's having dinner with his disciples. And he says to them, if you'd known me, you would know my father as well. And Philip, one of the disciples, same Philip from our story today, he says, show us the father. In fact, it's very much like Moses saying to God, show me your glory. Philip is saying, show us the glory of the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus' response is, don't you know me? As long as I've been with you, haven't you figured it out yet? And he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
To know me is to know the Father, the glory of God. Or as we read a few weeks ago, earlier in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Now let's take a look at Nathaniel's part in the story. You got to just love this. I think it's actually meant to be funny that in one moment, Nathaniel is saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then in the next moment, he meets Jesus and he says, you are the King of Israel, the Son of God. Uh, Julie and I were at a, a Vietnamese restaurant with some friends, and they said to us, you have to try this avocado milkshake. And we said, can any good come from an avocado milkshake? And we tasted And behold, the nectar of the heavens, the ambrosia of the gods. And we became obsessed with avocado milkshakes after that. Absolutely obsessed. I've got the recipe if you want to know more about that mystery. (laughs) So I imagine Jesus is actually chuckling when he says to Nathaniel, do you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? (laughs) I tell you, you will see greater things than these. So look now at at verse 51. What does Jesus say after that? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he talking about? He's making an allusion to another Old Testament story. It's the story of Jacob, whose name was also Israel later on, Jacob was running away from his brother Esau. Esau wanted to kill him. And Jacob uh, camped for the night at a place called Bethel, which means house of God or gate of heaven. And while Jacob is asleep, he has a vision, he has a dream where he sees a ladder extending from earth all the way up to heaven, and he sees heaven opened and angels coming and going, ascending and descending on that ladder in that spot. And he says, surely I am in the house of God. So Jesus is referring to that story, but notice what he says. The angels of God are ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on who? The Son of Man, which is Jesus' most favorite self-reference. It's his title. He's saying, I am the ladder. And again, as we look at this passage in light of the incarnation, we know that in the incarnation is the joining together of heaven and earth, uniting God and humanity. Jesus is the latter. We talk about Jesus as being the mediator between heaven and earth to heal the divide, the rupture that had occurred between God and man because of our rebellion and sin. Jesus came as a mediator to make peace between God and man, except for one thing. The word between is not really the most accurate word. Because normally when we think about a mediator, we think about a a sort of neutral objective third party that stands between two other parties and tries to get this side to agree with this side and and be friends again or whatever. All right? The, The mediator is third party neutral. Jesus is not third party neutral. And rather than being between God and humanity, he affects this reconciliation by bringing both within himself. He embodies the reconciliation the union of God and humanity in His very existence. This is why the incarnation is so powerful. He didn't have to go do some other thing first in order to bring peace between God and man. Rather, as Paul says, He Himself is our peace in His body, in His very existence. 
the rupture between God and humanity is reconciled on the cross because it was first reconciled in Jesus himself. As fully God, as fully man, Jesus could not be at war with himself. So in him, God and man have peace. And what he had within himself because of the incarnation, he shared with us through his death on the cross. That's how the incarnation and the cross, or one of the ways, are intricately connected and linked. So Jesus, by saying to, to Nathaniel, you will see angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man, he's saying, I am the ladder that Jacob saw. I unite heaven and earth, God and humanity. In me, heaven is open to earth, and earth is open to heaven. Now look again at what Jesus says in verse 50. And notice the word see. Because I said to you, I, I saw you under the fig tree, do you now believe? You will see greater things than these. So let's talk about the greater things. Remember six-year-old Brett. Thought he, had knew, he knew everything there was to know, and he found out there's actually so much more to know. This is always true for us and God. Yes, as we've been saying all through this series, in the incarnation, we have the full revelation of God. In Jesus, we see God as he is. There's no other God hiding behind the back of Jesus where we have to say, well, yes, Jesus, I like, but what's the real God really like? We don't have to ask that question because in Jesus, we see God fully revealed. Everything we need to know about God we have in Jesus. But you might be wondering, and I'm so glad that you are, does that mean we know everything there is to know about God? We know where to find it, but have we exhausted the knowledge of God? Well, let me put the question this way. Do you even know everything there is to know about Jesus? The answer is, of course, no, which is exciting because it means that there's always more to know about Jesus. Our knowledge, and therefore our love of God, has infinite room to grow and deepen and become more real and more rich through all eternity. Now, we know his character, that he is good, he is loving, he's trustworthy, and those things will not change. So to say that we will know even more of God doesn't mean that at some point in the future there's danger that he will all of a sudden be a different God. No, that's, that's the hope and the joy and the proclamation of the incarnation is we know the nature of God. We know what he's like. It's more that we will grow and deepen our experience, that kind of knowledge, that kind of knowing of the God who is love. So think of it this way. Ten and a half years ago, I married Julie. And I know her character, I know what she is like. And yet all the time, I'm getting to know her more in two ways. One, sometimes I'll genuinely learn something I didn't know before, something about her childhood, or, or I'll just know something about her that I, I hadn't previously known. But second, and, and more often is the case, my knowing of her deepens as we go through challenges and experiences. I see that same character and personality that, that is familiar to me that I know 
and love and that I've known in love for 10 years, but now I see it revealed in deeper ways the more life we live together. Truly, I loved her 10 years ago. But now 10 years later, four kids later, and all that we've gone through, I respect her. I know her. I love her. I sometimes simply marvel at who she is. And I say, if six-year-old Brett didn't know what he didn't know, 23-year-old Brett, when he married Julie, he had no idea what great fortune was his when she said yes to me. And in 10 years, my knowledge will even be greater. There is so much more to know. If this is true of a human relationship, how much more is this true with God? There is still so much more to know. And this is the kind of knowing that prompted Bernard to say, to know God leads to the love of God, to see God. But now let's talk about being seen by God. Earlier we said, what do you do when you lose sight of God? Well, you ask for revelation. You say, show yourself to me. What we don't realize is that shortly after revealing himself to us, God will then next begin to reveal us to ourselves. So here's Bernard once more. The knowledge of God and then of oneself must come first. So knowing God and knowing yourself must come first, for they are essential to salvation. Know yourself, and you will have a wholesome fear of God. Fear God, and you will know God. And then he says what I quoted earlier, know God, and you will also love him. So to know ourselves brings us to the wholesome fear of God. And that brings us to the knowledge of God, which brings us to the love of God, is what Bernard says. All right, let's take a look at Peter's part in the story today, and we'll get a better understanding of what this looks like. So Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter comes to Jesus. Look there in verse 41 and 42. Andrew finds Simon. He says, come, I found the Messiah. He brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means rock, or Peter in the Greek. So that word looked. Look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. The Greek word there for look is emblepo. It's kind of a fun word to say, emblepo. So Jesus looked at Peter. And emblepo means you look intently. And what we see in this story is that this is a solid stare that laid bare the inner thoughts and desires of Peter. It's like our collect for purity that we pray at the beginning of every service. God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known. That is the meaning of emblepo. Jesus looked at Peter, and then he named him, and he showed Peter something that Peter did not even know about himself. Same thing happened to Nathaniel. Jesus said to him, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. And in that seeing, Jesus knew Nathanael so much so that when they met for the first time, Jesus touched his soul. And he gave voice to Nathanael's inner being, and he said, I know you. You are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's saying, Nathanael, you have a pure heart, and I know you. 
And that's why Nathanael responds the way he does. You know me. You must be the Son of God, the King of Israel. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he looks into your soul, and he knows everything about you. He emblepos you. Are you ready to be emblepoed? Are you ready to be seen and known in that way? Now, Peter and Nathanael were no doubt really encouraged. Peter's called rock. Nathanael is called the, the pure Israelite in whom there's no deceit. But this looking that Jesus does is not always a comfortable thing. Indeed, the same word in Blepa was used when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, I've done everything according to the law. What do I lack? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, same word, looked at him. And in looking at him, he knew what was the one thing that was missing. And he said, I tell you, you need to go sell all of your things and then come follow me. And the rich young man went away sad. But when Jesus looked at him, he saw the one thing that was needed. Indeed, this wouldn't even be the last time that this word in blepo is used between Jesus and Peter. On the last night before Jesus was crucified, when he was under trial and he was in the house of the high priest and Peter was across the courtyard from him, out of earshot, but they were able to see one another because the, the Gospel of Mark tells us that after the third time of denying Jesus, earlier Jesus has said, tonight you will deny me. You will disown that you even know me. And Peter says, no, I will never do that. Only a few hours later, he does it. And after the third time of saying, I don't even know Jesus, at that moment, the cock crows and Jesus looks across the courtyard at Peter. Same word. He sees him. If you ask for revelation and you desire to see God revealed to you, fair warning, you also must be ready to be seen by God. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to know yourself as you truly are, as God sees you? This is why Bernard says, hey, look, knowledge of self first leads to a wholesome fear of God and then leads to knowledge and love of I was just recently in a pastoral conversation with someone who was telling me, she said, I don't understand it. In one moment, I'm struggling with judging the people around me, looking down on them and, and despising them. And then in the next moment, I am despising myself, hating myself, judging myself. How can I, in almost the same moment, think that I am better than others and then hate myself and think that I'm the worst there is? How can that be? And I think, I don't know how that can be, except that it, it is, because I do the same thing. And so does everyone here in this room. The look of Jesus clears all of that away. Because when Jesus sees us, when he looks at us, he reveals that we are not as great as we think we are. And yet in him, we are so much greater than we ever dared to hope. At the beginning, we asked the question, what do we do when we lose sight of God? But here's what must be said about God. He never loses sight of us. In all our wanderings, in all of our ignorance and confusion, he never loses sight of us. What he said to Nathaniel applies to you as well. Jesus says, I saw you. 
when you were still a long way off, and I knew you, and I loved you. And I think that there are some of you here this morning, Jesus would love to give you a gift this morning, and the gift would be he would love to name you because you do not have a true understanding of yourself. Your understanding of yourself is distorted in one way or another. Either you have an exalted view of yourself or you have a falsely humble and low view of yourself. And you do not see yourself as Jesus sees you. And he, he wants to ask you, will you let me see you and reveal you to yourself? Will you let me name you? And you can say, yes. There are some of you here today that is what you need to do. That is why you are here right now. There are others of you, and as I was praying about this, I had a, a pretty strong sense that this is a prophetic word from the Lord for some of you. Because some of you are in a very different place where you would say, I haven't lost sight of God. I actually love God. I'm growing in the knowledge of God. And hey, guess what? Yes, we all struggle at times, but we're not all struggling all the time. Are you kidding me? No, life isn't that bad. Some of you are in a place where you actually are saying, I, I have a, a relationship with God I'm excited about. I'm growing in my knowledge of God. To you, I think the Lord wants to give this prophetic word. And it's this. He wants you to ask for the gift of prophecy. He wants you to make that an ongoing petition for the coming year. Now, I've run out of time, so I can't say more of why this is, except that there are some of you who are saying, yep, that's me, that's what I need to do. I need to just start asking God for the gift of prophecy. Because prophecy is tied to seeing and knowledge and revelation. In fact, the prophets in the Old Testament were called seers. And God is saying, I would love for more and more of my people at resurrection to prophesy. And I want to give that gift. So he's inviting some of you regularly commit to asking God, I want the gift of prophecy, and ask for the church as well. Another thing is Paul says, desire this gift above all the others. It's actually how you show love to one another. If you're curious about that, again, I've run out of time, but Stuart um, would have a lot to say about that. You can also talk to me or other pastors. What is the gift of prophecy? And finally, for those of you who would say, you know what, I, I've lost sight of God. Or perhaps I'm not sure I've ever really known God. And when you talk about the love of God, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, here's what I would like you to do. Here's what I invite you to do. First is just pray that simple prayer I talked about earlier. God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And I'll actually lead us through a prayer like that in a, in a moment. After you do that, here's also what you should do to search after God and to find him. Look for him in the scriptures. Augustine said the scriptures are the face of God for now. Meditate on the Bible. And if you have not read the Bible in a long time or hardly at all, I recommend start with the Gospel of Mark. But read the Bible and search for the face of God. The second thing, along with steeping yourself in the scriptures, surround yourself with those who love Jesus. Because if Jesus shows us the Father, the people of God, the church, show us Jesus. We have a saying here that as Jesus is the sacrament of the Father, so the church is the sacrament of Jesus. So after you pray, God, show yourself to me, look for him in the scriptures, and surround yourself with those who love Jesus and just see what happens. I'd like to close with a prayer now. 
that is specifically and especially for any of you who are in that place of, I've lost sight of God, or I don't know what that means, but I want to ask for this revelation you talk about. So close your eyes with me, and as I pray, pray in your hearts along with me. Father, apart from your gift, I am spiritually blind, and I cannot see you or know you. I also admit that often I don't really care about that. I'm interested in other things far more than I'm interested in getting to know you. Please forgive me, and would you show yourself to me? I ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Would you also show me who I am? Show me that I'm not as great as I think I am, but also give me a vision of who I am according to your most perfect design and your desires. Then fill me with your spirit to transform me until I am that person, until I am truly in the image and likeness of God as you have created me to be. I ask this through our Lord and mediator, Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.